to Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Bill Landis, Tim Bielek, your Ohio State coverage team for Cleveland.com. But today we're going to do a full, serious, no food talk breakdown of the Michigan State Athletic Department shortcomings. Mm. Because in the offseason, there's nothing that Ohio State football fans want more than a full, serious breakdown of real-life things that we really don't know anything about. But for 90 minutes, we're just going to speculate wildly uh, and offer very strong takes about real-world things that actually matter. Because, as you know, at Buckeye Talk, that's what we do best. Real-world things that matter. And hot dogs. All right, we're going to talk about Michigan State for like two minutes because it's important. I'm not making light of Michigan State. I'm making light of us because we are just not equipped to like delve into that. Um, But we'll touch on it briefly. But we are going to touch on the Ohio State coaching staff. More Kerry Combs. Talk a little bit about Greg Schiano. We didn't mention this beforehand, Landis, but I want to talk. This is also our signing day preview. Oh for yeah, signing day number two Sign, that you signing, forgot existed. Signing days next week. Oh yeah, signing day. The, ori- the original yeah. signing day before the the new signing day. Yeah, we're old school. We like the original signing day. We got some questions about it, so we would have gotten to it anyway. I think we would have realized like an hour and twenty minutes into this podcast that signing day was next week. Oh, signing day. Do people care about recruiting? I can't remember. Yes. Um. So we're gonna do that. Our position breakdown will be the secondary, which we'll talk even more about Kerry Combs. Uh, and then we'll talk about the food we're going to eat during the Super Bowl. Because I have a really good answer to that. Because there is a thing that I eat once a year Ooh. for the Super Bowl that my daughter now acknowledges it as the day we eat this thing, oh, is there a football game on also? So that's how big this thing is, which I kind of like. I'm excited. I don't know what that is. Yeah. It's quite a tease. I don't do anything but eat it. My wife makes it, but I should. It's not like it's not pizza, is it? No, 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 no. I really, really eat it though. I eat a lot of it. So um you guys can read us at Cleveland.com. You can continue to listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Yes. If there was some confusion for a couple weeks, here's the deal. We are currently on two separate platforms, Pinecast and SoundCloud, and we are doing that because we want to make sure everybody's covered. So we hope that everybody is still getting us no problem with your subscription to many of the fine podcasting sites that we didn't even know existed before all of this. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah, I don't... People... Bottom line is you should be getting the podcast. Wherever you got it before, you should be getting it now. If you're not, let us know, but that should not be the case. Yeah, but there's really no reason that that, yeah. that anything should be a problem. We apologize if there was any confusion for a while. We fixed the confusion. So it's on Podcast Pal. It's on Podcast Buddy. It's yeah. on um, my podcast-in-law. Um, <laughs> podcast for Dummies. Like, whatever... The right didn't we discover a million different things that people use? Yeah, I think like I only upload it to a specific. It's I think it's like four or five different places, and then from those four or five places, apparently it branches out into thousands upon thousands of podcast apps that I've never heard of. Yeah, um, but yeah, no matter what you use, 
pod, if one, I think one was like called like podcast attack or something like that. <laughs> yeah. um, oh no, I've been attacked by Buckeye Talk. It should still be on podcast attack or whatever you use. And but regardless of where it is, Buckeye Talk is the number one podcast wherever it's available. Yes, that's most fact. popular podcast on every podcasting platform. Mm-hmm. All right, let's jump in right away to what happened in the middle of last week's podcast. The most dramatic breaking news ever in the history of Buckeye Talk. We have now had a week to absorb it. Uh, Tim did a list of candidates for the new guy. I wrote like a farewell. And of course, we're talking about the departure of Kerry Combs, which Urban Meyer finally acknowledged in a brief statement released by Ohio State on Monday, which was six days after after the original news broke, which is just kind of... And the Titans haven't officially announced it yet, I don't think. No. No, they've, think an, so. they've announced their coordinators, but nothing further than that. But I thought I, I saw somebody tweet, like at the Senior Bowl, that like Kerry Combs was down there. He was him. on TV. Oh, he was? For like half a second, he was on TV, talking and, to Rebel. And like his his wife has re, was retweeting like, 10,000 thank you know farewell messages on yeah. Twitter and obviously even before Urban acknowledged it. So it just kind of took a while. Um, let's give our brief a week later absorbing the news rather than having five seconds to process it. You got to listen to us process it live. That was our brains in action. <laughs> if you ever wondered like, well, I wonder what those guys do when news breaks. How do they spring into action? It's a lot of like, wow, huh, duh. Tim's like pounding away, putting up a story, and Landis and I are like, huh, crazy. So, Tim, it's been a week. Have you absorbed it? A little bit, I'd say, definitely. And it's a loss for Ohio State, no question about it, Not not just because of what Combs was as a recruiter, but also as a coach. You get the sense that... He was a guy who could be around for a long time. I know you guys talked about the future. Looking at the future, I think in our Buckeyes for 2020 uh, series that we ran, we had Combs being a guy who was going to stick around for 2020. He seemed like that kind of guy. So the news really comes came out of left field a little bit because I think of the coaches that we thought could leave Ohio State, Combs was very low on that list. But the Titans really must have loved what he has done in developing. Multiple first-round corners, I believe, if Denzel Ward goes in the first round in April, it will be five in his tenure that have worked under Combs and have gone to the NFL. That's an, that's a tremendous number. And that goes to show what kind of coach he is, and that's just going to be so hard to replace no matter who what Ohio State does, whether they move Alex Grinch to secondary coach in addition to some defensive coordinator title or somebody else is brought in from the outside to do that. It's a loss. I mean, you can't really understate it. For a, a secondary that has been really good under Urban Meyer for the last few years, it's a blow for them. I was talking with somebody about it last week, and I said that I thought um, Kerry Combs was going to die in the Woody and be buried at midfield. Um, and I don't mean that to be morbid. I just mean that to, like, that's how much he loved Ohio State. At least that was my, my read on the situation. But like having thought about it a little more, I'm less surprised because um, I think it's naive to think that there's a coach out there who doesn't have aspirations of being something more than he currently is. 
And we've talked before about like Ken Kerry Combs be a head coach, and I think we, we're in agreement that he can at, at a certain level. Um, but it was pretty clear that he had hit his ceiling at Ohio State. Why? Why did he hit it? Or like what made it clear? Both. I mean, hiring Alex Grinch made it clear. Not, not promoting him to co-coordinator last year, like true co-coordinator with Greg Schiano last year, I thought made that clear. Because Urban has always operated with co-coordinators on both sides of the ball. Had the opportunity to give a long-tenured assistant who had done a really good job developing players and sending them to the NFL, representing his program. He had the chance to elevate that guy to co-coordinator, and he didn't do it. Um, and I don't think that means that, Kerry, that Urban Meyer didn't like Kerry Combs, because I think Urban Meyer loved Kerry Combs. I just think that that was like his assessment maybe of his coaching ability. Um, so Combs, I don't think, was ever going to be any more anything more than cornerbacks coach and special teams coordinator and might have had like some different kind of titles, but was never going to have, I think, an increased hand in actually coordinating the defense in a major way. So if he finally realized that, or maybe he realized it a long time ago and, and saw a way out, a different opportunity that might lead to something more for him than I, I am not totally surprised that he would leave Ohio state. I think he does want to be a head coach. He was a head coach. Yeah. He was as good of a high school head coach as there was in Ohio. Um, and it's hard there. There are lots of different parts to your job when you are a college, when you're a football coach, right? So there's recruiting, which urban Meyer, would tell you is absolutely the number one thing. No doubt about it, right? Do we have any doubt about what Urban Meyer values most in his assistant coaches? Nope. Nope. How was Kerry Combs? So that's number one on the list. How was Kerry Combs at that? Great. All right. I would say number two for Urban Meyer and for a lot of coaches is developing a relationship with your players. And having that trust, that personal trust that I would say Urban Meyer thinks is important to the holistic welfare of the program at large. But I think Urban Meyer also would believe leads those players to be better players. Whatever that cliched quote is of, they don't, what is it? They don't love you till they trust you. They only trust you when they love you. I don't know. You know what the thing is. They can't coach them till they love you. What is it? Is it a Celine Dion song? <laughs> Near far. There's some quote. You guys know what I'm talking about. Right? I actually don't know what No, there is. About, yeah. There's a thing where there's two verbs and you reverse the verb. And when you say the sentence two times in a row, and by switching the verbs, you make a very deep and poignant revelation about trust and belief they don't they don't they don't care how much you (laughs) i'm googling this and i don't i don't see anything you guys have tweeted at me it tweeted tweeted at me as the second you listen to this because it's like a cliche quote thing they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care is that what you're talking about yes oh yeah i've heard that before (laughs) (laughs) oh i've heard yeah, but you were saying trust, and I don't yeah, know. You, you were talking about love and trust, and trust and love. No, and care. I'm searching for. I'm searching for verbs. They don't. Whatever I just said about knowing and caring, right? So number two is caring. How do you think Carrie Combs was on that? Great, ten out of ten. Like I, the the photo I used on the thing I wrote about Carrie Combs was was like when they 
lost to Michigan State in the 2013 Big Ten Championship game, and it was a photo of Kerry Combs and Bradley Roby walking off the field arm in arm. And and certainly, like, many coaches would do that. I, he's probably not the only assistant who walked off that field upset arm in arm with one of his players, but not every coach did it, right? Not every coach. So that's good. So that's good. So number three, so one is recruiting, two is relationship with your players. I would say number three is like the on-field coaching of developing your players. Developed here, developed here, right? And there's a twofold part of that, but I think it's the same thing, which is A, developing them to be the best player they can be for Ohio State, and B, developing them for the next level, which is the same thing. It's a mm-hmm. simultaneous thing. But would you agree that maybe is number three? Yeah, that makes sense. How, what was Kerry Combs in that? Great. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. So he's 10 out of 10 in the first three things, right? And I would say number four is X's and O's. Yeah, it's like Urban's quarterback checklist. We're like actually playing quarterback that isn't even on there. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and obviously, and that's especially true for non-coordinators, right? But guys like, right? I mean, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So I don't know. Where would you say, I, where, where is Kerry Combs on that? I don't know. It's hard for me to say. Like he, I, w- I didn't cover the team in 2013, but like he got a lot of crap in 2013 along with was Everett, Everett Withers, right? For how yeah. bad the pass defense was, and then like Chris Ash came in and it was better, and I think that was a lot of Chris Ash and not maybe so much Kerry Combs. That that this thing that the corners ended up playing, this press man coverage, get up in your face, be aggressive. We need NFL corners on an island to play this defense, which then leads to being able to recruit future NFL corners to come play this defense because what you're asked to do is very translatable to the next level, and we've seen that whole pipeline develop. That's not a Kerry Combs creation. That was a Chris Ash creation. That was Urban Meyer looked at that pass defense and said, this is driving me crazy. These guys playing 10 yards off the ball. What are we doing? We got to switch it. And again, Urban or Everett Withers was the co-coordinator in that situation. So, so I would say that's the first area where Kerry Combs is not a 10 out of 10. And it's number four on the list. And I don't even know what else there is on the list. Those are probably the only four things that matter. What else is there to being a coach? Recruiting, connecting with your players, developing your players, and X's and O's. So the first three things, he's 10 out of 10. He's not 10 out of 10 at the fourth thing, but I feel like the fourth thing is what held him back. Yeah, I would agree with that. What's up? The fourth thing is what what keeps you from from elevating to anything more than than a position coach. Which is kind of crappy. In what sense? Like, I don't know. Like, do you think... so, So I guess here's the question. So we don't know... So Kerry Combs, here's the thing, and I wrote about this about, this about Kerry Combs. I think Kerry Combs is all in wherever he is. Like you said, you thought he was going to be buried at the Woody. I'm sure people, when he went to Cincinnati to be a college coach for the first time there, he is Cincinnati through yeah. and through. He's not Ohio State through and through from when he was a baby. He loves his state, but he loves his city more than he loves his state, and Cincinnati is his city. Mm-hmm. So I think people would have thought when he went to Cincinnati – He's at Cincinnati forever. And there were people when he was at Coleraine, and he was the assistant principal and football coach, and I think he was, he was there for 12 or 14 years. They couldn't believe it when he left. They thought he was going to be that forever. So Kerry Combs' great rare ability is to make you think that wherever he is, <laughs> he's never going to leave because he's so into it. 
right? Yeah. But it's a little weird to me that Kerry Combs is great at all these things, and I think he would be a very good head coach. But the step in between position coach and head coach is where you got to X and O it up a little bit. Yeah. And you don't have to be an X and O guy as a head coach. And you don't have to be an X and O guy as a position coach. But that normal in-between step that almost everybody is a coordinator before they're a head coach, somehow it feels like that's where he got held back a little bit. And maybe... That's part, at least a little part, of why he left. Now, I think it's a very unique situation. Maybe I'm wrong on this. It turns out that a guy that he used to work with at Ohio State got hired at a place four hours from Cincinnati. So this is like, hey, Kerry Combs is going to the NFL. This is not exactly Kerry Combs is going to the NFL. This is Kerry Combs is going to work for a guy he knows driving distance from his city. And yeah. I said, if Mike Vrabel had gotten hired by the Arizona Cardinals and everything else was the same, I'm not sure Kerry Combs would be gone. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. And if anybody else had gotten hired by the Tennessee Titans, I'm not sure they would have looked at the Ohio State cornerbacks coach to be their cornerbacks coach. So it is a kind of a perfect storm of things that happened, but the result is no more Kerry Combs. So let me ask you this. If the choice, and we're not saying it was, but this is, I think, informed reasoning. But this is a reasonable way to look at this. If the choice for Urban Meyer was hire Alex Grinch, lose Kerry Combs, or promote Kerry Combs, get him lined up, make him your co-coordinator, Get him lined up to maybe be the coordinator if and when Shiano leaves and hire somebody that would clearly come in under Kerry Combs. What should Urban Meyer have done? Uh, the first one, like what he did. I, well, I'm assuming what he did. I don't. I am never in favor of promoting guys just because like they're the next one in line. I think that's something you should have to earn. Um, and not to say that Kerry Combs wouldn't have earned that because he has been a very good coach here, but Alex Grinch has a track record as a successful defensive coordinator. Um, I think, again, like the stuff we've talked about, he's a, a young mind who thinks with a game differently. I think it's good to have younger guys on your staff that can re- relate to players a little more, break some different ideas. So um, I, I always kind of err on the side of bringing an outsider if you can, especially one with those credentials. Um, so I think the first move is the right one. So then, Tim, answer me this. When Jim Tressel was the head coach here, he, and I remember writing a story about it. Everybody wrote stories about it. They had a very loyal staff that did not go anywhere, mostly because twofold. It's, I'm, not, I'm not meaning to be critical of that staff, but clearly twofold. One was Jim Tressel was their guy, and they didn't want to go anywhere else. Number two was nobody was banging down their door. Urban clearly has a different kind of staff. Urban has guys that people want. And that's great. What is the right kind of staff? Is, is it okay? So Greg Schiano, Greg Schiano is not an Ohio State guy. Greg Schiano is a football coach who happens to be at Ohio State for now. Kevin Wilson's not an Ohio State guy. He's a football coach who happens to be at Ohio State for now. 
Um, Alex Grinch is not an Ohio State guy. He's a climber who wants to be a head coach someday and is from Ohio, but is coming to Urban Meyer Finishing School. Um, you know, a guy like Larry Johnson, Larry Johnson, I don't think is going to go anywhere. He was at Penn State forever. He would have stayed there forever, except they kind of didn't give maybe give him a shot at maybe being a head coach. But then he came to Ohio State, and he's going to retire at Ohio State whenever that is. What do you think is the right mix? How would you describe at a place like Ohio State what Urban Meyer should be looking for as he builds a 10-man staff between really good football coaches who Ohio State is just a good place to work, but they don't really have their heart here. They're going to do a good job because it's their employer versus – Guys who like to them, Ohio State's like a special place. How do you how do you find the ideal mix? You do have to balance it. I think when it comes to a ten man staff, I would lean more eight to nine in the category of just better coaches who could be going elsewhere. But you still got to have that one to two who kind of gets what Ohio State is. And the trestle thing was kind of the extreme in the other direction. It worked out well because they just had such a continuous run of success under Jim Trussell. I believe it was like six BCS bowl games in a row or something to that effect. And with Urban, you have definitely more sought-after coaches. I mean, more sought-after guys who are going to get jobs elsewhere. We've seen it just the past few years. It's been turnover after turnover after turnover <laughs> within the staff. That's common, I think, when you have high-level staffs. You see that at Alabama in particular where coaches will leave, and then Saban will just bring the next guy in. I think that's what Urban has done, and what he more often than not, he's done pretty well. you got to have that balance. So I think you, you do need to have that one guy who kind of gets what Ohio State is. And we, until last week, we thought Combs was going to be that guy who, like you said, Bill, is probably going to be here until he decides he's done coaching. Um that's going to be it's going to be an interesting thing for Urban to figure out in the next couple weeks is is he going to have a staff all of guys who are just you know outside guys that you know they came in they're coming in Ohio State they're just good coaches but they're looking at it as an opportunity where they coach a couple of years and then they're going to get you know a bigger uh, more important job somewhere else such as a coordinator to a head coach or position coach to coordinator whatever the case may be but. There's, you still got to have that guy who kind of gets it a little bit more. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, I think it depends on what kind of program you're running. I think Ohio State, places like Ohio State and Alabama, are I think are largely immune to feeling the effects of some of this stuff because of how good the players are they get. And I know that's like a very simple thing, but um, coaching can be overrated. And when you're recruiting five stars, it's much easier to coach. So as long as that's happening in Ohio State, I wouldn't worry too much about it. And, like, the guy who gets it is the head coach. It's not like Urban Meyer is an Ohio State outsider. Who's, like, that happens. You get program outsiders who run the program for a little bit. Urban Meyer grew up in Ohio. He didn't go to – I think he did go to Ohio State, right, for grad school? Yeah, he's a grad assistant. <clears throat> yeah. He went to Cincinnati. Coached yeah. here before he was the head coach here. Like, has stories of listening to the game, walking around a shopping mall with his mom. Like, he loves Ohio State. And the trickles down from him. So if it was a different guy head coaching – um, I would have more concerns about it. But I, I, I have no problem, really, with a staff full of risers because I think risers often coach harder and work harder because they're doing it to reach a higher goal, personally. Guess where I am on that? Uh, the opposite end. <laughs> little worried about the risers. 
Not really. Not it's the same thing. It's the same thing as recruiting too it's many five stars from out of state. It's the exact same thing. Yeah. It's the exact same thing. I think you need an Ohio heart in your roster and in your coaching staff. And and whatever that you know, Tim said like eight and two or nine and one or I, I don't know what it is. Six and four, seven. I don't yeah. know exactly what the right thing is, but I will tell you this. A couple years ago, who would have been number one on the list of Ohio State assistant coaches who got it and who thought Ohio State was a special place? Luke Fickle. Who would have been number two? I don't know. <laughs> Probably Kerry Combs. Oh, Combs. Or Zach Smith, whose grandfather is a legend here mm-hmm. and who grew up around it. But those, I think, were the three guys, right? Yeah. yeah. Fickle, Smith, and Combs. Combs because he's an Ohio guy and understands the power of Ohio State and loves this state and loves the people in this state. Um, and two of the three of those are gone. So, like, I'm just on alert. I'm just on alert a little bit. Now, Alex Grinch is a riser and an Ohio guy. Alex Grinch is from Grove City. Alex Grinch understands what Ohio State is. Greg Sudrawa is from Ohio. I don't know where I am on Sudrawa. But I'm just saying, like, along those lines. No, I know, I know, I know. That's the point that we talked about this before. Like, I wrote a thing about no former Ohio State players in their answers. We have guys from Ohio, so. Yeah, and and Larry Johnson, again, is like, is not from Ohio, but is an all-in, not looking for his next job kind of guy. Um, So I'm just on alert a little bit. I Like, and I'm just on alert from the aspect of, they lost Luke Fickle, and they hired somebody who was just, had none of Luke Fickle's attributes. He's from Ohio, too. A, let's let's run down the four <laughs> things you have to be able to do. Recruit. The guy's been Bill Davis was in the NFL for twenty four years. He doesn't know jack squat about recruiting. Two, connecting with your players. Wasn't there? I don't know. Yeah. Three, developing your players. Wasn't Jerome there. Baker got worse. Like I don't know, right? Yeah. Luke Fickle checked all those. Luke Fickle on those three things that we said with Kerry Combs. Ten out of ten. Ten out of ten. Ten out of ten. Pipeline of linebackers to the NFL. Complete relationships with his players. Really good recruiter. X and O's, some criticism over the years, mm-hmm. right? He did have a coordinator title, but when people had problems with Luke Fickle, it was scheming up stuff, right? Yeah. So I'm just on alert. I'm not in freakout mode. I am very curious to see what happens here. If, like, Grinch is the cornerback coach and they do something different now, I don't know. But I'm just telling you. Like, I am not all in on just hire the next random best guy, like, who's a good coach. Like, I, and because again, like we said, Urban was very big on like all these Ohio roots when they had them. So, let's make sure you have some. Yeah. Okay. Is Greg Schiano going to be the Patriots' next defensive coordinator, Bill Landis? We were going to get to this last week because we were talking about staff stuff. And then we went deep, 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 deep on Ryan Day. And then Kerry Combs blew up our podcast. But this was on our list of things to talk about because we did a video that we ended up not putting up with sort of this Landis theory. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm sure I stole it from somebody. Um, the best writer steal, baby. That's right. Um, I, but I do think there's like a there's a general vibe around the program. I have not seen it like concretely reported anywhere by anyone that um, once the NFL season is completely over and it will be completely over next Sunday, um, that it's possible Greg Schiano jumps to the NFL to be a defensive coordinator. And uh, when we shot that video, I said, well, Matt Patricia, the Patriots defensive coordinator, has taken the Lions job? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, Greg Schiano and Bill Belichick are friends. They like each other. Urban Meyer and Bill Belichick are friends. They like each other. Um, There's a big Rutgers Patriots Rutgers connection. connection. Yeah, basically because of Greg Schiano, but right. Like, there's stinking Rutgers players all over that roster. There are a lot of connections there that I would not be surprised one bit if Greg Schiano gets hired by the Patriots. Like the day, of, if if the Patriots win the Super Bowl and Bill Belichick on the field announces Greg Schiano as his defensive coordinator for next year, I won't be surprised by that. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's just like I don't know. It's not a unique thing. Like it's if you think about it for ten seconds, I think a lot of people would come to the same conclusion. And the Grinch hire, I think. Is is covering bases because maybe Urban thought Shiano would leave for a head coaching job, and obviously that's not happening. But um, NFL coordinator seems like a logical stepping stone to head coaching job down the line if it's not going to happen for him directly out of Ohio State. So then let's 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 go down this path now. Thanks, Landis. We're on okay. the path now. Let's go down the path where your defensive staff next year is Larry Johnson. Coaching the defensive line. Good. Mm-hmm. Very good. Mm-hmm. Bill Davis coaching the linebackers. You know where we stand on that. Alex Grinch coaching the secondary in some way, maybe something we're not exactly sure what. Yeah. And coordinator. And coordinator and co-coordinator. And then two replacements for Kerry Combs and Greg Schiano. How you feeling? Depends on who the replacements are. I know who I'd want them to go get, like, immediately. So we're so far down this path <laughs> you are now giving us your list of candidates. People love our list. We'll have Tim read part of the Alex Grinch, not the Alex Grinch, the Kerry Combs list, because we read the Ryan Day list last week that we never published. Yeah. We did publish Tim's Kerry Combs replacement list, so we'll run through that a little bit. But let us begin now. We're so far ahead of the curb. We now are beginning our Greg Schiano replacement candidate list. <laughs> Marcus Freeman. Oh. They should have hired him when they hired Bill Davis. And they didn't because Marcus Freeman wasn't at Urban's wedding. Um, <laughs> Marcus Freeman was a baby. Was a baby. I was going to born, yeah. Um, I don't know. It just makes sense. Like he's a, makes, it makes too much sense to me. He's a coordinator in Cincinnati. I have no idea how good Cincinnati's defense was this year. I don't really care. Um, he was a good coach at Purdue, and he knows Ohio State. And he can recruit, and he's not white. So I would hire him tomorrow. Part of it also, the fact that he just played Ohio State. I mean, we'll get in the Combs list, the Combs list but there's another guy in there who played at Ohio State in the, in the last decade. So that kind of oh, plenty. Was Freeman yeah. on your list? I forget. No, no, I know no, he doesn't. I, know I, he doesn't I, I mentioned strictly backs. corner corner coaches. I yeah. mean, I, I did see someone else did another did a list. I think eleven warriors. I mean, people do lists like this. Mm-hmm. It's fun to do lists like this, and I think their list had Freeman on it from the standpoint of like you start shuffling stuff around. It's yeah. like if you make Grinch like the secondary's coat secondary. You know what I mean? You can squeeze stuff in, or and guys coach out of position sometimes. But um, I'd be all for that. I really like Marcus Freeman. I'm old enough that I covered Marcus Freeman. Mm. And he's really, really smart. And he was a really good player who had to get uh, retire from the NFL before his career basically even started because of a heart issue. Um, and I remember doing a story about him in college about how like he wanted to be an AD someday. Like he is just a really good guy. And I think he's a very, very dynamic coach and recruiter and they could use a little bit of juice. So I'm in on that. So that's your guy. That's my guy. So you want Shiano gone now. 
You just you're just you think Greg Schiano is blocking Marcus Freeman. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't want to like I'm not yeah, Greg Schiano is a really good coach. I don't I don't I'm not saying it's to Ohio State's benefit necessarily if he leaves, but I think there is a very logical guy to go after if he does. But do you think he would or do you I mean would Urban be so now all of a sudden we're really getting that staff pretty young. Yeah. You're now now Alex Grinch is in charge of that defense. If if Greg Schiano leaves, I guess Market like I said, Marcus is the defensive coordinator at Cincinnati, you could give him a co coordinator with mm-hmm. Grinch. But and Grinch, that could be the sweetener to get him to leave Cincinnati. Grinch is the most experienced guy then. Like, you're going from Greg Schiano, and you're going from Chris Ash and Luke Fickle previously to that. You're going to an Alex Grinch defense. Mm-hmm. That's why he's here. That's why he's here, because Urban is preemptively preparing for that. Yeah. Um, okay. Write it down. Bill Landis' list. It's a list of one. It's a list of one. A yeah. list of one. Uh, Tim actually put a little more work into his list because the job was actually open as opposed to if and when Greg Schiano, if 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 Bill Belichick and Tom Brady are uh, in an embrace at midfield in Minneapolis celebrating their 14th Super Bowl win and somebody sticks a mic in their face and says, Bill, why are you crying? And he says, because I'm so happy that Greg Schiano is my next defensive coordinator. We will do a more extensive list. Um, but... Tim, we don't have to – well, you can read the whole list, but, like, just highlight – there's eight names on the list. Highlight, like, the guy, like, the two or three guys that you really like, especially. All right. Well, I, I went strictly on corners and secondary, and number one most obvious, Alex Grinch. I feel like if Shiano leaves, they'll Grinch will be defensive coordinator slash secondary coach, and then they'll look at, a, like, another linebacker coach or a safety coach. But Grinch will, I think, is the most likely to kind of take that role – as secondary coach. A couple other guys I mentioned on my list as possible candidates. I've looked at Ronaldo Hill, the secondary mm. coach at Pitt. He turned down an offer from Michigan State to go back and be an assistant there. He worked under Pat Narduzzi. Pat Narduzzi actually brought him to Pitt, and he's done a pretty good job for the last couple of years. Uh, another, uh, I'll go with some unknown names. Uh, Iowa State cornerback coach and. There's a reason I'm going to say this. D.K. McDonald. He's worked under Matt Campbell for years. He's an Future or- Ohio State coach, Matt Campbell. Yes. He's an Orville native, and he was a big part of Iowa State's defense really improving. I know they play in the Big 12, so the numbers don't sound good, but cons- with the Big 12 considered, he's done a good job. He's a young guy. Question is going to be, you know, what kind of recruiter he is, but as an, there's always... As we mentioned in, like, in the last couple of podcasts, the Ohio guy thing I don't think can be overstated. <clears throat> and then for my outsider, hope I'm getting his name right, Anthony Campanile, the Boston College defensive backs coach, who there is no YouTube videos or AP photos, so I have no idea what this guy looks hmm. like. Does he really exist? Are you, have you been catfished by the Boston College secondaries think, coach? Think of what someone from New Jersey looks like, and that's probably what he looks like. <laughs> well, Campanile... Campanile will be interesting. I mean, he was a former assistant at Don Bosco Prep, which is where Tyler Friday played his high school football, mm-hmm. recent, mo- second most recent Ohio State commit. Um, defensive back coach of Boston College for the past two seasons. They gave up just 10 touchdown passes this season to 18 interceptions. They've developed some good defensive backs. They had a guy drafted named John Johnson in last year's draft, went to the LA Rams, did a good job. Young guy, kind of similar to DJ McDonald, DK McDonald. I'm going to say DJ and DK because I don't know how many. No, but um, not a good week for guys who are named DK. Yeah, the only. Guy. Ooh. <laughs> but 
But yeah, Google that. <laughs> I mean, those are a couple guys. Those are a couple young guys. I think I'm interested. I also added Bill Sheridan on there because he was for a month an Ohio State assistant coach before he went. Oh, back. Yeah, that he went the to the NFL. Yeah. Coincidentally, to be an assistant coach under Greg Schiano with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Which is how we got Kerry Combs. He was. Yeah. It's like Kerry Combs. There's only one original member of Urban Meyer's Ohio State staff left now. It's Zach Smith. But there was really only one original member before because Kerry Combs was not really an original member because he hired Bill Sheridan, who was Nick Sheridan's dad, the Michigan quarterback, brief Michigan quarterback. And but he never made it to a game. He never made it to a season. So he that Kerry Combs was then hired after Sheridan was here for like like you said a month or whatever, and then it was like oh they're hiring this guy from Cincinnati he used to be a high school coach, and I remember thinking like is it Coombs? Because <laughs> there's two O's. Is it Coombs? Uh, and then it was like oh it was Kerry Combs, and then Kerry Combs was Kerry Combs. So that's our farewell to Kerry Combs. There's some good names. Listen. There's some good names on that list. I like the, whatever, how you say, Campanello guy from Campanella. Jersey. His brother's the head coach of Bergen Catholic, and he's a former coach of Don Bosco, and I like, like, hiring people with good ties in New Jersey, I think, is smart. Yeah, that... And, like, Michigan tried to do it and hired a Paramus Catholic coach who nobody likes, and that didn't really work out for them all that well, but... Uh, Partridge? Yeah. But, but, but then like there Partridge. was a whole thing about Partridge was going to go to Alabama, and they had to pony up to keep him. Yeah, like I don't. It was like a weird thing. I think he is a good recruiter and a good coach, but like, I don't know if Chris Partridge gets you inroads to anywhere in Jersey other than Paramus Catholic, where he was the head coach. Oh, he's not beloved in the state that he supposedly is supposed to be in charge. But like hiring the former coach of Don Bosco, whose brother coaches at Bergen Catholic, might be to your benefit. And I do think it's great to have like Greg Schiano from the NFL and Bill Davis from the NFL. but I think you want some guys coming the other way, too. They have some yeah. NFL guys who came down to college. You want some high school guys who came up. And that's why part of why I think Kerry Combs was such an interesting, important part of this staff is that he was still a high school coach at heart. He's now in the NFL, and he's a high school coach at heart. He's going to coach like a high school coach, whatever that means, which basically half the time means like giving a crap mm. and acting like you are actually enjoying your day instead of being a grumpy old ding-dong <laughs> trying to be a Bill Belichick clone. So so to hire guys like that, right, yeah. that have that in their roots, I think is is a good thing. I don't I, I, I don't think you want this to become exactly like an NFL team. They're kids, man. Didn't you write that last last year? Stuff. I can't remember. I think like based on the Bill Davis hire, like don't don't become too much because I th- one of the it might have been Jerome Baker or Chris Worley said like Bill Davis coaches like he's in the NFL. Yeah. And then I think you wrote how that could be problematic. Yeah. And I was right. It was. <laughs> Let's Steve Politi from NJ.com wrote a column about Kenny Britt being at the Super Bowl. And I said, I just tweeted at him in the middle of the podcast and said, if this is a heartwarming Kenny Britt column, I'm unfollowing you. <laughs> is it Kenny Britt? Because Kenny Britt went to Rutgers. Yeah. So he's that Rutgers guy. The heartwarming story, Kenny Britt came to Cleveland, stole the Browns' money, <laughs> ruined their receiving core, got Sashi Brown fired, and now, after catching two passes during the regular season with the Patriots and being inactive for both playoff games, is chasing his dream of a Super Bowl ring. Cram it, Politi! <laughs> 
And I just said it to your face on Twitter so you can listen to this podcast. I don't care where he went to college. There is no such thing as a heartwarming Kenny Britt story. Now, I'm sure the story is level is lovely written, and I'm sure he has some emotional tale about hardship that he overcame. But in between, right, whatever it is, if that is the case, if there's an emotional tale of overcoming hardship and the end game is getting to the Patriots and, and being at the Super Bowl, in between the hardship and the Patriots is stealing money from the Browns. <laughs> I hope that's in there. Let's talk about Michigan State briefly. Okay. We're this is really serious. It is damning about the college athletic industrial complex. Everything happening there from Larry Nasser to what is beyond alleged because ESPN did some great investigative work with these reports about um the uh, sexual harassment or assault or misdeeds of players on the football and basketball team, um, the allegations about that, the charges of that, and how they uh, supposedly did not seem to be taken as seriously as they should have been by the football and basketball programs at Michigan State. It seems like, and Michigan State is still in the process of defending itself, it seems like there was a an aura there that started at the top with the president and the entire university and then bled down to the athletic department of covering things up, dishonesty, um, a lack of full investigations, and trying to prioritize uh, the athletic teams over the health and welfare of Michigan State students. Um, we are not experts on it. We are not here to comment specifically about that. We are not here to try to have some kind of in-depth conversation about the problems um, of sexual assault on college campuses and how often things are not taken as seriously as they should be and how victims are not heard. Um, this is a goofball football podcast, so what I briefly want us to talk about, while acknowledging that baseline of very, very serious allegations that, if true, are unforgivable in many ways, um, the idea that Michigan State is at this point, that Mark D'Antonio and Tom Izzo are at this point, when previously... I think if you would have lined up, not just in the Big Ten, but almost anywhere in major college athletics among successful athletic programs, you know, give me a pairing. Give me two guys who not only win, but we think handle their business the right way. I mean, I think Mark D'Antonio and Tom Izzo would have been um, in the top five. I think it's very possible they would have been first. So, so I don't really want to talk about, I don't want us to try to backdoor ourselves into like what's happening at Michigan State. Let's just do like a couple like gut reactions to as outsiders to this situation, watching this unfold, whatever it is. And if you want expertise on that, you can find it elsewhere, plenty of places. You're not going to get it here. But we know the perception of Mark D'Antonio and Tom Izzo 
Bill, you start just the idea of watching these two guys have these accusations against their program and realizing what previously people thought of Mark D'Antonio and Tom Izzo and where we might be headed with this. Uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to, to talk about. I think I feel almost silly talking about it, talking, <clears throat> talking about like the football and basketball impacts of it um, because of how serious it is. But, you know, it is, it is uh, surprising, I guess, is the, is the word I would use um, because of, like you said, the perception people have and the perception that I had of both of them. I know people didn't like, I'm sure a lot of Ohio State fans didn't like Izzo or D'Antonio because of their successes against Ohio State. But before a, a week ago, I'm not so sure you could encounter anybody who didn't think those guys were, were running their programs the right way. Um, and now there are allegations that, that they're not, or they didn't. So, um, yeah, I guess I was mostly surprised. Um, I when the, all the, the like the Larry Nasser trial was happening, and then there was a lot of blowback for the university and the administration at Michigan State. I figured it would it would eventually get to this point. To what extent, I wasn't sure. Um, and the extent to which it did happen um, was was greater than I thought it w- would have been. Um, and now, like I got, I'm at I'm at the place. I think I'm going to say this to you the other day. We weren't recording a podcast. I'm at the place now where I'm just operating under the assumption that. Michigan State will have different football and basketball coaches next year, and like what it means beyond that for like the greater future of the athletic program, I have no idea. But um, if like the hammer came down in a major way, I wouldn't be totally surprised by that. Yeah, and we don't we like we're not here to talk about like could very serious allegations against like Michigan State football hurt their recruiting. That's not that's not what we're, like obviously that's yeah. not what we're talking about here. But Tim, just as someone um, who has followed Big Ten sports. Before you even came on the Ohio State beat, just just what what in your head before all of this, how would you have described what your impression from the outside was of Tom Izzo and Mark D'Antonio? I've you know I thought that those guys were pretty class guys. You know, D'Antonio runs his program pretty strictly. You know, they've had some incidents in the past, but I feel like you know he's dealt with them pretty well. Izzo kind of the same way. You know, they kind of run in ways no nonsense programs. So for this kind of to come out is is shocking I think and you know I was reading something just that Magic Johnson who of course played in Michigan State basically said that anybody who knew about this should be let go and I think that's the road we're eventually going to go down is you know both guys like Bill said are probably going to be gone which we would have never imagined you know even eight months ago yeah it's just it's just it, Izzo is a superstar and and is sixty is about to turn sixty three I think this week or something. Um, who knows how much longer he was going to go? Um, D'Antonio was just such an interesting thing because he's he's like off the the I mean he's just like a like you said like he's like a no nonsense like kind of win with three stars maybe don't you know I don't know you 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 would think maybe he'd be able have a better chance to avoid this kind of thing than uh, than maybe coaches at a lot of other high-profile programs, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's just proof that, again, the, the college athletic industrial complex um, will often take no prisoners in the pursuit of money and winning. And uh, it is not a shock to anybody who follows college sports at all that money and winning often are the absolute bottom line, and you can be amazed at times not shocked, but just amazed at 
what er, how everything else can go by the wayside in the pursuit of money and winning. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about National Signing Day, and then we'll talk about Super Bowl food. Okay. okay. A year ago, this would have been entirely a recruiting podcast because Ohio State would have been preparing next Wednesday on February 7th to sign the number one recruiting class in the country. And that expectation and possibility, but nothing assured yet, nobody signed, would have been all anyone was talking about. And instead, they have how many guys signed? They have uh, 22 signed. Is Tyreek signed? No. Okay. 21 signed? Yeah, 21. 21 signed, three committed who have not yet signed. Okay. But 21 signed that it's over. Like, there's no, like, nobody's flipping at the last minute. Like, 21 are in and done and locked up. And so they have three more committed and a couple more in the hopper. And we're going to hit those real quick so you guys have an idea of what is coming next Wednesday. Because on February 7th, um, we will have a lot of coverage of what's available that day. We expect Urban Meyer will talk. We expect that maybe we'll talk to some of the early enrollees that day. We did it last year and got to talk to guys like Tate Martell and Baron Browning and Jeffrey Okuda and Sean Wade and some really interesting mm-hmm. uh, and freshmen who are already here. I think there's eight already they're, they're here eight right here. now. Yep. Right, So that'll be interesting. It also happens to be the day of the biggest basketball game of the regular season for Ohio State. They'll be playing the at Purdue. basketball game in like four years. Yeah. So there's a lot happening next Wednesday. So again, we'll record our podcast next Tuesday, but we're not going to delve into a bunch of stuff that's happening the next day. We're going to preview it now. So can you give people, Bill, I, I want to get into the nitty-gritty of the Ohio State stuff, and then I want to briefly talk about like how this has worked out with National Signing Day being early. What do you think of this whole vibe okay. and the reality of it changing? But specifically on the class, 21 signed, three more committed. Can you just hit people with the three guys who have committed since the signing day in December, and then we'll talk about who else might be coming in the next week. Sure. Uh, so the first one was Tyreek Smith. We talked about, I think we talked about him a lot. So Ohio State had a two glaring holes in this recruiting class, one at defensive end and one at offensive tackle, and they have, in my opinion, answered the defensive end question uh, very strongly by getting commitments from Tyreek Smith, who is like a borderline top 50 national prospect, four-star defensive end from Cleveland Heights, and Tyler Friday, uh, top 100 prospect, four-star, rated as a defensive tackle, but they'll play him at end um, from Don Bosco Prep in New Jersey, uh, like Tim said earlier. Um, so those two filled the defensive end need. Uh, Tyreek was in early January. Tyler Friday was a few weeks later. And then, uh, what's today, Tuesday? On Sunday night, uh, Ohio State got its 24th commitment from four-star California receiver Chris Olave. Um which I thought was actually kind of surprising because they were involved with him and then it seemed like they backed off because the spots weren't there. They already had three receivers in this class. All of their receivers came back. It's a very crowded position. Um, but I think, and I wrote this when I wrote about what his commitment means, that you're seeing a thing, and, and this is an, a, an idea of mine that's unique. It's what a lot of people who write about recruiting are talking about. The idea of the early signing period's impact is now you're in February and most of your spots and your needs are filled, but you still have available scholarship space. So you're taking like best available player, sort of, sort of like how you draft guys at the end of the NFL draft after addressing your needs. Um, 
So I don't think Ohio State really needed a receiver, but a good receiver wanted to commit to Ohio State, so they took him. And that was Chris Olave. Um, I think he's intriguing. I wrote, he reminds me a lot of Devin Smith. I think he's different than the other receivers they have in his class and different from really anyone on the roster at the moment. Um, but it was still interesting that they took him to begin with, with <coughs> then 23 commitments being at the scholarship number and being seemingly very full at receiver. So that was an interesting commitment. So those are the three. Smith, Friday, and Olave. So the, the one thing is uh, they're going to lose. So they lost Trayvon Grimes. Already. Mm -hmm. So there's already sort of an opening, an unexpected opening in the receiver room um, that he transferred. Yep. And they knew that before this, but, but, you know, in the big picture. And then the other thing is, so all four guys we thought might have an NFL decision in the receiver room all stayed. They're all gone next year. Three of them are definitely gone. Mm Mm-hmm. And KJ is the one who could be back. Yeah, but if you think like he and I wrote like that's three are definitely gone, four could possibly be gone, and I think four makes sense. So four out and four in adds up. And then maybe like next year they take like almost no receivers, or they take one receiver one or, two. or something. Yeah. Right? That they're just they're almost it's almost like Olave is part of next year's class. Mm-hmm. That like, well, we don't really. <clears throat> We don't really obviously we don't need him now, but we redshirt him. We'll clear a spot, somebody'll transfer, or somebody'll get medical hardship, or we already are aware of that, and there just happens to be a spot. So, like you said, he's best available, take him. We'll have him in the room, we'll we'll he'll be at practice for a year, and then he'll be a year more prepped, and then instead of going three receivers next this year and three receivers next year in recruiting, we went four receivers this year and two next year. Yeah. So it's almost like he's a 2019 kid. Yeah. But they went. They said, "What the heck? We have the spot." Yeah. Um, so now, so now there are 21 signed, three committed. There are 24. Mm-hmm. How many more do you think? So those three guys who are committed are going to sign next Wednesday on February 7th. Yep. How many other guys might sign? Uh, I think is. <sighs> If like oh, if signing day goes perfectly for Ohio State and they get everybody they want, um, I think f- four, possibly five, more. Yeah, like five is a lot. Five is is a big number. Um, so there have been some guys, some players we talked about. Like um, one of them is Javante Jean Baptiste, who is also from New Jersey. He's from Bergen Catholic. Um, he is not in the picture anymore. I don't think uh, Maurice Washington, who was a running back and a defensive back from Texas, I think he's really not in the picture anymore either. So those are two names I, I think you can feel pretty comfortably aren't going to pop up before next Wednesday. Um, but even removing those guys, I think there are there are at least four. I'll say there are, there are four names for sure to keep in mind. And two are the obvious ones. The two the biggest position of need, like I said, is offensive tackle. Um, and the two guys there are Rashid Walker, who's a four-star from Maryland, and Nicholas Petit Frere, who's a five-star from Florida. Um, he is officially visiting this weekend, um, but I think Ohio State is still playing catch-up there. That can change on official visits. That happens all the time. Um, but they are not the favorite. Um, there are some people who will tell you that they're in a pretty good spot for, to land Rashid Walker. Um, he His final official visit was to Ohio State, but he still has in-home visits he can do before next Wednesday. It'll be interesting to see which program gets like the final in-home visit. Um, but it's Penn State or Ohio State, really, for Rasheed Walker. Um, they would take both those guys if they can get both of them. I don't think they can. Um, 
I would feel pretty confident, not pretty confident, but pretty good chance, I guess, they get Walker. I would, I, at this point, I wouldn't say they get the other guy, Petit Frere from Florida. Um, so those are the two tackles. And then there's, um, on the subject of like best available, Tavion Thomas is a three-star running back from Dayton um, who decommitted from Oklahoma on Monday, like off a secret unofficial visit to Ohio State. Tony Alford was at his high school on Monday, and he's officially visiting Ohio State this weekend. Like, that is the formula for a flip. Um, and I expect that it'll happen. He's got some weird, like, academic stuff that might make him a guy who commits but then goes to prep school or possibly goes to junior college. So um, if his grades work out, he'll join the team for next year, and he'll be the third running for, uh, technically the fourth running back in this class, although Jalen Gill's an H back. Um, but it's also possible that like Chris Olave and Olave is not totally the same. Cause he's not going to, he's going to be here, but Tavion Thomas could be a guy who commits now and like has a ceremony next Wednesday, but actually ends up not coming here until 2019. And if you commit and then go to junior college or to prep school, you're not really committed. You have to, you can sign with anybody. You're not signed. You're not, they can't sign you and then have you and go then, to like, prep school. Rights. Yeah. yeah. So it's fake, except the school has said, we want you, yeah. and the player has said, I want the school, and so you're, you're not married. When you, are, when you sign on signing day, you're married. Mm-hmm. When you do this, you're engaged, but you can still break it off. So, but it's better than just dating. You're, they're at least putting a ring on your finger. It just yeah. isn't a wedding band. Right. So you can go off to prep school or junior college, and then... If something gets haywire, Ohio State can say it's it's not working out. Or if like you all of a sudden look super awesome, Nick Saban can be like, "Hey, yeah, you look good." And all of a sudden, it doesn't matter what you told Ohio State on signing day; it doesn't matter. So um, it's interesting, but they've done that with guys before, like Cardale, Cardale Jones did, it, right? did that, Michael Thomas did that. Like it's it happens sometimes, and it works out very well. Yeah. So. Um, that would be interesting. Why would they – is he just – again, is this just like spot available? I, is I, this guy too good to pass up? Is this Urban Meyer saying we need more Ohio kids in this class? I think it's it's like a combination of all that. I think also somewhere in there – and I'm not sure where this ranks on the list of reasons why you would take Tavion Thomas. But maybe you don't want Oklahoma to come in and take a kid out of your state who you think is good. And so Ohio State said we have a spot for you. Um, I don't know that for a fact. I just, that's just like a vibe that I have on a thing. And I, I think that's lower on the list than like they just think he's good. He's he's a monster. He's like 6'2", 230 pounds. He's really strong. Different kind of running back, I think, than anyone they have on the roster. Um, can also probably play defense. He played defense at Dayton Dunbar as well. Um, yeah, so he's talented, and I think they've always liked him. I just don't know if they've ever expected the academics to work out. Um, and they're actually in a very similar position with Chris Oates, who's a, a linebacker we've talked about before from Cincinnati, um, who I think Ohio State wants, and he wants to go to Ohio State. There are also academic issues there. I think his academic position is a little better than Thomas's at this point, but he is another candidate to commit to Ohio State next Wednesday, but then maybe go junior college or prep school and then not show up here until 2019 too. Okay. So in the end, here's the thing I'm wondering about. There are 24 21 plus 3. Mm-hmm. You named... I named four guys. So, could they end up with the class... Now, I mean, say the academics work out for both those other kids, and they get... Uh, could they have a 28-person class? 
So they that, haven't had that in Urban's time yet. No, they haven't gone over twenty five, have they? Yeah, they've gone over twenty. I think they had twenty six a couple years ago. Okay. Um, I'm going to be totally honest that that I am a little confused about how the scholarships are counted. And I went into this early signing period thinking that you weren't allowed to sign more than twenty five anymore. Because, like, in all the new recruiting legislation that came out, part of that was you're limited to 25 initial scholarships, and I read that as you can't sign more than 25. But you can still back count. You can. And they had, I think, uh, like 21, 21, last year, right? last, 21 freshmen last year and a junior college player. Um, so you can count back some of these. Early, these. There's eight guys early enrolled. You can count some of those guys back to next year to get your number this year down to 25, if that makes sense. Um, but their roster at the, at the moment with – there are 24 commitments, as the roster stands now, they're at 87 scholarships for 2018. Okay. And you're talking about adding potentially four more to get you to 91 scholarships. That's you a need lot. You lose six guys. That's a lot of roster movement that has to happen. And again, we think that, that's like we think like Joe Burrow is a very possible transfer, but nothing's guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple guys that we could identify as potential medical hardships that. Yep. Their careers might be over because they're too injured to play, and they would they would lose those guys. They've done that multiple times. They've lost some medical guys almost every year, which is normal. Which is normal, but also is a very convenient way to thin your roster if you need to. I think we've felt like we've tried to be alert for that, and we've mentioned this before. I feel like maybe there's been one or two that you're sort of like, eh, I don't know about that. But in the end, like trying to like give the kids an opportunity to say like, "Hey, are you being treated fairly?" Nobody has really piped up and said like, "I got, I got pushed out or whatever." So yeah. um, we try to be aware of that. But that would be, and again, this is where the if they had lost six guys to the NFL instead of three, then even if they took all these guys instead of ninety one, they'd beat eighty eight. Yeah. Or like right now, you're saying right now they're at eighty seven, they'd beat eighty four if. Mike Weber, Paris Campbell, and Draymond Jones had gone to the NFL, which a month ago we probably would have bet on. So that's the kind of the thing of like, you know. But the other part of this is Urban Meyer was saying it's so hard with the early signing period to make these decisions before you know the NFL things. Well, they're fine right now. So these aren't pre-NFL decisions. Right. They, they would be deciding to, to go to 28 in this class. And to add seven kids on the second signing day, fully aware of their roster situation. So this is not like a, oh, the calendar screwed us up thing. This is, everybody's eyes are open about this if they would end up going and pushing the limit all the way to a 28-man class. They, they would, you would presume, have some very clear ideas in mind of things they know that are happening that haven't been announced yet yeah. to get them from 91 to 85 by camp. Yeah, and I wonder if we'll get any kind of news along those lines next Wednesday when we talk to Urban. Sometimes that happens. That is if you, if you ask him, if you ask him about like your, you guys are at ninety one, like well, this, this, and this is happening. Right. So, which is a very fair question to ask. Yeah. No, I think. Uh, yeah, I think it's. I said it before. Like they always get to get to their number, and I think for the most part they get to the number the right way. But I think it is important to hold them to it and ask questions about it when they're clearly over. All right. Let's do some questions. You guys can always tweet us at Tim Bielek, at Doug Maurice, at Bill Landis 25. The best way is to tweet at Buckeye Talk Pod. Um, 
Always interested to talk food and football. We've been we've been uh, peeling off the food talk a little bit lately. We've been pretty serious about football. Um, but we're very serious people. And also, we haven't said the name of the thing we said a lot last week because uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. But we love everybody. And we also love Drizzy Get Busy. Somebody uh, tweeted a story at us from Wired.com that says podcast listeners really are the holy grail advertisers hope they'd be. They are? Yeah. All right. Did you hear that? Unlike online ad revenue. The holy grail? Yeah. (laughs) All right. What do you got, Landis? Okay, questions. We got a lot of good ones. We, we, in our conversations about recruiting and Michigan State and Kerry Combs, I think we answered quite a few of them, but... Um, I like this one from Alan Kitchen, who always asks good questions. And, uh, Doug, you kind of wrote a story along these lines, I think, after um, about like how zen Urban Meyer was about not making the playoff. Alan asked, is Urban Meyer pissed about how this season went? In parentheses, he wrote, losses, missing the playoff, recruiting stuff with Dabo, essentially being called out by Nick Bosa for not being Nick Saban. Or is he beyond the point where those things could create the anger to propel him to another championship? Is that is that the implication that he needs anger to yeah. be propelled? That like he needs to use falling just short this year because of a thirty-one point loss at Iowa as the fire that propels them to the playoff in eighteen? Yeah. Um, I think Urban Meyer has a very firm understanding of what happened this season. And that mainly is a JT Barrett comment. I think Urban Meyer watched what Nick Saban did. And this is not to go back to this conversation, which we've had. I think Urban Meyer may have heard what Nick Bosa said. And Nick Urban Meyer is very comfortable with how he handled JT Barrett. He is not going to bang his head against the wall over a season in which they won the Big Ten Championship, won a major bowl game, um, beat Michigan, one, probably, at least arguably, probably the toughest division in college football, and still avoided his first three loss season at Ohio State. He is not going to be angry about that season. I think he is going to be angry about the Iowa game, and I think he will use the Iowa game a lot to say, do you want to slack off this week? Do you want one game to keep you from your dreams? Do you want to let your foot off the gas pedal for half a second and watch this happen again? Watch this program be embarrassed and fall short of what our potential was? Because we blew it on one Saturday for three hours. Is that what you want? I think he's mad about that. I don't think he's mad about 12-2. and And I think he understands that perhaps, and I know like people said, JT Barrett didn't go 55 points against Iowa. But I think if anybody's pointing to what could have gone differently, right? Well, they could have played better against Iowa. There's a lot of things in play there. But the only other thing that could have gone differently, right? Mm -hmm. The only thing that you really point to is handling the quarterbacks differently. And I think he has zero problem with that. I don't think he would change a thing. So now, 
the passage of time has led to a new quarterback. It's a new era in Ohio State football. He will embrace the new era, embrace this quarterback competition, embrace the new offense that maybe they need to run with Dwayne Haskins and realize that they have a lot of really good players. They also might be winning their first recruiting title mm-hmm. under him at Ohio State. Things are still humming. And if being number five in the country is your down year, that's a pretty good down year. And I do not think he looks back on this season with anger. I think I agree with that. I wonder if there's any part of him um, who will be motivated by the idea that there are some people, I think, who feel that he's lost his mojo a little bit. Like, and I think you wrote after the Iowa game, like, has he lost his touch? Which, like, people, like, the old Urban Meyer what, have lost What a ridiculous game. thing to ask about Urban Meyer. Like, I guess to a certain extent it is because he's been, like, people think he's above questioning because of all he's accomplished. And I guess I understand that sentiment even though I disagree with it. Um, I think there's a little bit of that out there. And, like, he's not, he has nothing to prove because he's done so much already. Um, but I think there might be a little bit of a fire there based on the fact that, like, Saban won again. Dabo clearly thinks he's got your number. Um, maybe that's a little bit motivating for him. And but and I think the one thing, and I think to that point, because I think, um, listen, it's interesting. Boy, it's complicated. So so I think the one thing we were saying, like if there was a fault, right? What are Urban Meyer's faults? Maybe you could spin loyalty as a fault, mm-hmm. right? Okay. On both sides of the ball, he kicked loyalty in the nads Hmm. in favor of smart, young coaches that he really doesn't have a pre-existing relationship with. Ryan Day said, I'm leaving, and he said, you can call the plays. Sorry, Kev. He's anticipating something happening sooner than later with Greg Schiano. He went out and got Alex Grinch. Maybe Kerry Combs said, yo, what are you doing? And he said, sorry, Kerry. So if you think Urban Meyer, and when I wrote the Nick Saban thing up, the loyal versus, versus ruthless. This, with his staff, was a little bit of a ruthless Urban Meyer offseason. And if the end result is, Ryan Day, show me what you got. Alex Grinch, show me what you got. Let's go win this thing. Maybe that's where he found his mojo. Did you just talk yourself into a column? Hold on a second. (laughs) (laughs) I'd read that. So basically you're saying it's reinforcement of the thing he says all the time, life in the big city. Yeah, except this time he actually followed through on it. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those things. And that's the hard thing. It's like, that's a great thing to say. It's a hard thing to do. Yeah. It's a great thing to say. It's a hard thing to do because it's people, man. But yeah, I think that is right, Tim. I mean, I think this is the, the a greater implementation of that than maybe we've seen at all, at all times previously. And it's always a balance, right? Again, I just don't think, I don't think, I mean, if you ask, he's, Jim Tressel was really loyal. Now, Jim Tressel also kicked Todd Beckman to the curb pretty quickly and mm-hmm. made Terrell probably the starting quarterback. So again, everybody is both. 
all great coaches are ruthless and loyal. It's about where you lean at what time and, and where you are on the sliding scale. But I don't think you want Urban Meyer at all ruthless, no loyal. But I think he I think he made some moves. This is like it's all like Godfather stuff, right? Yeah. He yeah. he made some moves this offseason. I like I don't even know. Like, of course he did, but he could have let Ryan if he would have said, Ryan, I've known Kevin forever. This guy's been a head coach in the Big Ten. He was running this offense at Northwestern in nineteen ninety nine, man. I don't know. Ryan Day's like I was in middle school in 1999. I don't want to hear it. And Urban Meyer says, okay, it's yours. That's a little ruthless. Yeah. Ask Kevin Wilson how he's feeling about Urban Meyer's ruthless loyalty spectrum at the moment. He's got $700,000 to wipe his tears with. Um, <laughs> plus whatever Indiana paid him to leave. Um, Fast Eddie had a question about Chris Olave. He would talk a lot about, but his, his second part of his question was, Will taking him come back to haunt Ohio State, especially if they don't get an Ohio or a offensive lineman in this cycle? Uh, no, I think it's possible they don't get an offensive lineman, um, just because the top two guys aren't home runs, and I don't know of any apparent backup plans. But they wouldn't have taken Chris Olave if they knew that they wouldn't have had a spot for an offensive lineman. If that makes sense, so I wouldn't worry about that. Um, you can be worried that they won't get a lineman, but it won't be for that reason. Uh, let's see. Jano had a question about Kerry Combs. Uh, he said, if Combs was that invaluable, wouldn't he have been farther along with the Buckeyes after six years? Which I think we we touched on that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So Chad M., whose profile picture is Doug uh, with his hand under his chin in an mm. inquisitive and I, manner. And I think I know exactly what video that's from. I'm inquisitive in a lot of videos, but but yeah. Very inquisitive in this one. So anyway, uh, he had a lot of questions, and I didn't, I didn't flag them all. Um, some of them he was just straight trolling, um, <laughs> which I respect. Uh, but I thought this one was interesting. So he gave us four, he gave us four hot takes, and then told us to say true or false. Ooh, this could be a game. Yeah, we could do this every week. These were, I thought these, these were, these were good hot takes because it's a good balance of football and food. Uh, number one, Ryan Day is the most overhyped coordinator in college football. Okay, so so okay, Tim starts. I go second and you go third? Yeah. Okay. False. Yeah, false. False. Okay. Uh, switching JT Barrett for Dwayne Haskins after the Oklahoma game probably probably results in three losses. False. Oh, boy. I thought that was probably the best one on the list. I mean, how do I answer it? I mean, uh, I think it – can I say this? Say whatever you want, man. It's your podcast. I think in the – and so three losses total. So – so, one more they loss. They already to lost to Oklahoma. Yeah. So the loss to Oklahoma is in the bag. They lost one more game the rest of the year with JT. Finished with two total. He's saying they would have lost two more. Mm-hmm. I would think you either lose. I think you don't lose. The I don't. Loss. You don't end with two total losses. Yeah. You end with either, unless they're in the playoff. Yeah. You I either end so. with one or three. Yeah, I agree with that. I do. And I, I think it's 50-50. Yeah, I, I think uh, we talked about it before. Like, the, you're, there is risk inherent in playing Dwayne Haskins, especially that young last year. He was going to throw picks and probably throw picks at bad times. Um, I mean, I, JT pulled the Penn State game out of his butt. Yeah, yeah. That was a loss that JT saved. <clears throat> sure. So, you could also argue that they were in a position to do that because the offense was kind of ineffective in the first half, too. That's true. So, um, but I thought that was really good. I, I would... I'm inclined to say true, 
only because Haskins was so young and is so aggressive throwing the ball that like he's just capable of throwing pick sixes at, at inopportune times. And, and and the possibility is, so you had that month there where the offense looked pretty good, the, the passing game looked pretty good with JT. If you would have had Haskins in a similar spot, would have had that month to figure it out, <clears throat> he might have been like, hey, I'm Dwayne Haskins. Like I'm ready to be a top 10 quarterback in college football, Dwayne Haskins, like right now. I had the month to learn on the fly. Let's go. Like the Dwayne Haskins that people are excited for, right? There are people who are excited for Dwayne Haskins 2018. Mm-hmm. You could have, I think you could have gotten that Dwayne Haskins in 2017. Yeah, you would have given him a month to figure it out. And then by mid-October, I think he would have been the same quarterback he's going to be pretty much on opening day in 2018. Like what, what changed so much, right? I mean, you got to get some reps. But there's not going to be – I mean, you get better the more you play. But, like, JT Barrett didn't really get better the more he played. Yeah. He was as good as he ever was his first year. I think Dwayne Haskins could have come out and been like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I can do this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yep, I'm ready. Let's go. Yeah. And here we go. You were a hard false on that, Tim? Hard false. Why? Because when I look at Dwayne Haskins and what he would have been able to do, I look at – you know, he would have had those first three games. It was Army, it was UNLV, it was Rutgers. Those three games would have been opportunities for him, you know, to try things, you know, see what would work, see what wouldn't work in in bigger situations. We saw him get action in particularly those first two games, uh, Army and UNLV. He got opportunities. He looked great against Army, showed a little warts against UNLV at times. Through pick six. Yes, he threw a pick six, and he, I believe it was against... Illinois, he had that fumble in the he's downpour. He's bad against Illinois. I mean, it was yeah, it was pouring, but he was bad against yeah. Illinois. Yeah, I think given give him time and he figures those things out. You know, give him you know, given the Nebraska game, give him the bye week. Maybe he beats Penn State as well. Maybe they get off to a better start in that game after giving up that kickoff return because they gave up, they turned the ball over on that first drive after Saquon Barkley's kickoff return, and they mm-hmm. were down fourteen nothing before you even had time to sit down with your popcorn and watch that game. But Haskins would have figured it out. I felt like he would have figured he would have adjusted to the college speed. Well, we saw against Michigan what he looked like. He looked comfortable in a very difficult situation. I mean, a redshirt freshman being thrown into the biggest game of Ohio State season on the road in front of more people than he's ever played against, and he didn't look scared. He looked like he could fit in. Imagine what he could have done against in a, in a situation like that if he had three months of game action. Okay, so Tim's a false. I'm a true. Doug, did you give true or false on that one? Can I be half and half? Sure. Okay. His next hot take <laughs> hey, was... Waffling's only for me. That's true. I do like waffles. Though. Chad, okay. There's a question about that we can get to later. Chad's third hot take was KJ Hill is better than or at least equal to Paris Campbell. Ugh. True. God. Chad, you're killing me. I say true. The only, I think the only thing Paris has over KJ is speed. Yeah, and it's like by a wide margin, but KJ's a better receiver. I'm in agreement. What you don't, what KJ doesn't have in Paris's speed, he has in utter reliability. I wrote about this on the receiver chart that KJ has the most reliable hands. He was the number. He had the most catches of anybody. Lowest average. I think his average yards per catch was like nine. But they kept going to him in important situations. And the mo- the sec, there's two traits that are important to football players. Number one's availability. Number two is reliability. 
Nobody tell you about the cliches, man. <laughs> okay, fine. Well, okay, reliability is as important to receivers as anything. Can you catch the football? Hey, give me credit. I want a couple months without one. <laughs> that's true. You have, gone, you have gone a while without using one. So yeah, I'm true. allowed one every once that in a might, while. That might legitimately, though, be the worst one you can use. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's a critic. <sighs> but the point is, reliability with his hands, I think, is equivalent to anything Paris Campbell gives you with athleticism. Yeah. Disagree. Paris Campbell's better. Okay. Paris Campbell, who scare? Does Paris Campbell scare defense? Yeah. Does KJ Hill scare defense? No. Okay. I'll take scare defense. I think. I think, and I'm not downplaying KJ Hill because they need KJ Hill. You can find KJ Hills. Yeah. Yeah. Paris Campbell's like a track guy who plays football. I still don't think they've figured out how to use him the right way yet. I still think they like throw him the ball down the field too much, and they just need to like flip him the ball in space. But that's what your H-back should be. I don't need the H-back down the field. Run Johnny Dixon and Austin Mack down the field and run shallow crosses and screens and throwbacks and jet sweeps with Paris Campbell and get him the ball like 10 times a game and see what happens. So... If they use him right, and, and like with every player, you've got to use him the right way. Yeah. If they use him right, I'll take Paris Campbell like, and say, yeah. Because, again, in my whole world of like, that's great. They have, oh, they have six receivers that are all interchangeable. I don't want six interchangeable receivers. I want a couple game breakers. And right now, this group, the guy who is most likely to be a game breaker in the receiver room is Paris Campbell, and it's not close. I think you changed my mind. Um, okay, his fourth, we got to get the more questions. His fourth hot take was Chipotle queso is not worth the money. I've never had it, but I'll agree. False. Um, I don't like the extras at Chipotle. We've had this conversation in the past. You go into Chipotle because you can get an $8 burrito and get out of there really happy. Right? Mm-hmm. You get a water, get a water with the lemon. They have the lemon right there. You don't have to get a soda. That's extra money. If you want to get the chips, that's fine. But don't go in and start adding so much stuff. You had guac, you had queso, you had all this stuff, and all of a sudden you spent 15 bucks at Chipotle, and now you could have gone to O'Charlie's and gotten steak and chicken fingers. You've got to make Chipotle what it is. You've got to maximize the value of Chipotle with the high-end food. When you start adding, that's how they get you. That's what a dad says. Queso is how they get you. Can I, can I that do, is a dad quote. Can I do a transition real quick? Sure. sure. In your life, have you gotten a cup for water, and then gotten a drink at the soda fountain? Uh, On purpose. Like, not in my adult life. Maybe when I was a kid, but I try not to do that. I think that's stealing. I don't either, right? I kind of want my restaurants to trust me a little bit. Yeah. I feel like you trust them, they'll trust you. I think that if you do that and you're caught, you should be publicly caned. <laughs> there's like a couple things that i think that you could do like if my daughter ever came home and said like uh she's not old enough to date yet but when they are if they said it's like oh what'd you do with your boyfriend which chipotle and like they said oh my boyfriend got a water cup and then got soda i would make her break up with him yeah it is <laughs> that is a character flaw and a- listen to me yeah. if you're sitting listening to this and you're being like oh relax I want you to reevaluate where you are in your life. That you are at a place in your life where it is so important for you to save a dollar eighty nine 
that you're putting it over on the world. You think you're putting it over on the world that you're smarter than the rest of us, that you're getting a soda or a lemonade because the lemonade and the water are on the same fountain because the water is right under the lemonade, right? You got to hit the, oh, I accidentally got lemonade. You know what you actually do what you do if you accidentally get lemonade? You pour it out. And it's possible I've ranted about this before. That's a waste. No, it's honest. Because that's the slippery slope. Oh, I accidentally got lemonade. The next time, you do it again accidentally. And pretty soon, it's not quite such an accident, Bill Landis. <sighs> okay, we have too many good questions, so we're not going to get to all of them. I want to get like uh, two or three more, and then we'll talk about the secondary. We didn't talk about the secondary yet? No. No. Oh, my God. <laughs> Christopher King had a bunch of good ones. Uh, I'll take this one because I thought it was funny, and we have a quick answer. Would Michigan trade Jim Harbaugh for Jeff Brom right now? <laughs> oh, wow. No. <sighs> I think probably not because of all the Michigan ties. but And, like, I'm not ready to crown Jeff Brom as, like, the next Vince Lombardi because Purdue won, like, five games last year. Um, or six games, whatever it was. It was seven. Whatever. It's one year. Um, he also beat Khalil Tate. So what? Khalil Tate got, is the reason Ken Niamatololo is not coaching at the Power 5 level, so I don't like Khalil Tate anymore. <laughs> what does that mean? They wanted to hire yeah. Arizona, and then Khalil Tate treated, tweeted, I didn't come to run the triple option, and then they didn't hire Niamatololo. Are you kidding me? Yeah, he, yeah. And he spelled triple with two Ps, and he deleted the tweet. I'm out on that guy. Yeah. I was never in on him. That's a joke. Wow! What a terrible thing to tweet. Yeah, um, no, I don't think so. I, are you guys out on Harbaugh? Like, do you think Harbaugh's just no, we, like, we, not going to get it done? We talked about this before. I'm not, I'm not out on Harbaugh yet. Okay. Either am I. But I know Tim has a man crush on Jeff Brom, so you would make the deal, Tim. <laughs> Actually, Tim you, throw would trade... in, you throw in cash considerations, too. Yeah. Would you trade Jeff... Urban Meyer, Alex Grinch, and Ryan Day for Jeff Brom? <laughs> no. Grinch, I, Grinch I... is a step too far. A Grinch too far? If you were the president, if <laughs> you were the president of, if you were an athletic director, would you hire Jeff Brom and Alex Grinch as your first two hires? Um, are you saying Brom at, or Grinch as head coach? Brom as head coach, Grinch to run your defense. That would be depends what program you are. If you're Michigan, I would think you could do better because I want. I think Brom needs to prove it a little more at the Power Five level than a seven and six season to Purdue. In spite of the good things I've said about Brom in the last few months, like give it two years with both guys, and my answer could be very different. If you give it two years, they're gone. Someone yeah. else is going to get them. Yes, got to be bold. Uh, okay, question, 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 question. Willie Freeman or William E. Freeman, Feeman, William E. Feeman uh, said, "Do you think Michigan hiring Ed Warner with his knowledge of Ohio State prep, et cetera, will significantly impact the game going forward? Um, not a hundred percent that he's going to work at Michigan, I guess. What is going on? I don't know. He's definitely not at Minnesota. We know that much. <laughs> uh, he is currently at Michigan. We think is like an analyst. Um, potentially could be joining Mike Vrabel's staff, the Titans, as offensive line coach. There were some reports about that, um, and I was told that wasn't true, but." That can change, um, but no, I wouldn't like if if Ed Warner ends up staying with Michigan in any capacity. He's a good offensive line coach, so if he's coaching the offensive line, their offensive line I think would be a little better. But I don't think he has inside secrets on what Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson are going to do with Dwayne Haskins because that's like a different language than the offense he was coaching when he was at Ohio State. Yeah, that's one of those things we love to write about stuff like this. It's like it's all on film. 
I mean, there's yeah. there's not really much you gain because you once worked somewhere. Everybody works everywhere. Everybody love everybody. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of good food questions. Are we going to talk about Super Bowl food? Yeah, I think we need to talk about Super Bowl food. Okay, Can we talk about the food now? Can we do all of our food and then squeeze in? God, I thought we did the secondary. I was like, oh, we, we're running through the list. We didn't do it. I mean, we talked Combs and Grinch, and then we talked our candidates. We just didn't get into players is all. I mean, there's not, to be honest, I don't think there's really much like, to dive into. Let's, let's do food. People okay. like to know what's happening. We're going to do food, and then when we're done with food, we're going to break down the players in the secondary, the depth chart there, and talk about that, and then everybody's going to go home. Okay, quick answers to food questions. Tyler Shoemaker, egg cooking preference. Uh, scrambled. I don't eat eggs. Me neither. Easy, easy answers. Uh, let's see. Someone, what? What? Oh, um, have you guys had Taco Bell's fries? I don't eat Taco Bell, but I'm intrigued by the fries. But I'm put off by the commercials. Do you ever have it that you're put off yeah. by a commercial and you think I'm not supporting that? Yeah, for sure. I've had them. Have you had them? I'm. I'll go. No, and I'm gonna. Piggyback off what Doug just said about the commercials and compare it to movies. You ever notice how sometimes movies get over commercialized? Beca- because they. Is this the, a stand up act? No, be- <laughs> no, no, I'm saying there's movies out there that get over publicized commercials because the the companies know they suck. Yeah. I feel like, oh, yeah. I feel like Taco yeah. Bell is doing that because Josh du- Duhamel. Dumel. Dumel. I, I'm getting his name wrong. Josh Dumel is in these commercials. That look like they could be in an episode of Mindhunter or something like oh, that. Oh, that's what those are for. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's like some weird FBI espionage thing when it comes to nacho fries. He's also Fergie's husband. Yeah. You could just be like. Are they still together? I don't know. If you think they're really good, be like, try our nacho fries at Taco Bell instead of like trying to go through, you know, the process of hiring a Hollywood actor who's been in a bunch of movies lately. Granted. I mean, he was in Transformers. He probably needs to work. Oh, well, he's got. If you're in Transformers, you've got money to burn them. Mm, not if you were in... Were that, always, that always does interest me. It's like, you need the money. Like, what, what? how much did he get to be like, yeah, I'll be in a fry commercial for Taco Bell. <laughs> like, where, what is your, how much is your pride worth? You're an act, you're, you like were the lead of a TV show. Are these you like, in movies. Are these precursors to like, to even more extravagant Super Bowl commercials? Maybe. Is this like part of the package deal? I guess George Clooney does commercials in Japan. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's not like Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, but they pay like eight million dollars to like say, like try our seaweed and then like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I just don't believe in selling out for advertisers. Dear God, cluster truck, please sponsor this <laughs> yeah. podcast. It's not like Matthew McConaughey for what was it? Lincoln. Lincoln. I knew it was an L. It was either yeah. Lincoln or Lexus. He's so doing a- true. To, he continues to do True Detective and Lincoln commercials. Yeah. yeah, I mean, good for him. Lincoln's a classy car brand. Yeah, well, I have less respect for Matthew McConaughey now, though. Yeah. Uh, okay, next food question. Urban Renewal asks, what's your go-to Chinese food order? Kung Pao. General every so, time, everywhere. General So's every time, everywhere. Uh, also with uh, the Crab Rangoon as an appetizer. But that is not spicy, right? General So's? Yeah. Uh, it can be, yeah. Okay. Not, I, not as spicy as Kung Pao. I need spicy. But it can be pretty spicy. Tim, Tim do you eat Chinese food? No. Like, if someone said we're going to a Chinese food restaurant, would you say, I don't want to go because I don't enjoy any kind of Chinese food? Uh, probably. Interesting. I mean, fried rice? Fried rice is good. Yeah. 
Well, it's, in, well, what's interesting is like, my, my, again, my brother married in a Hawaiian family. They eat rice all the time. Like they have rice cooker. Rice is almost with like every single meal they have. Love rice. Rice does taste good. Yeah. Th- those <clears throat> grocery stores, they have like 20 pound bags of rice. Like I you- cook mine in the microwave. Chase Richardson, uh, waffles, pancakes, or French toast? Uh, oh, my God. That's the greatest question ever. And he also said, what's your go-to breakfast meat? Uh, pancakes, bacon. French toast, bacon. I just got an interesting text that I'll tell you guys about in a second mm. that I can't talk about on the air. <laughs> I believe it or not, it was so interesting, it made me miss a question about bacon. Oh. <laughs> Ask the question again. He says, waffles, pancakes, or French toast? French toast first. And then what is your go-to breakfast meat? Pancake second, waffles third. No. French toast first, pancake second, waffles third. I don't really like waffles. Go to breakfast meat. I literally eat bacon almost every day. And I don't know if that's weird. Do you fry it in the in the pan every day or do you microwave it? Micro microwave it. Yeah. Do you prefer the bacon chewy or crispy? So crispy it's almost burned. Mm. I, don't I don't want any chewiness in my bacon. By the way, some of the people who are asking or food questions also ask football questions, but your football questions, I think, require in-depth discussion that we'll have to put off for one more podcast or another podcast. Uh, I think Patrick Barton asks, uh, are you beer, liquor, or wine guys? But I think I'm the only one who drinks, right? I drink occasionally. Yeah, so I'm the only one who drinks beer. Beer. Um, Not beer. I've had four ounces of beer in my entire life. Sweet versus savory breakfast from Nikki Unders. What do you prefer? Uh, as an adult, savory. Uh, uh, as an and you do dad things. Did you did did your dads ever eat cereal at night when you were a kid? Yeah, I eat cereal at night. But did you ever think why is he eating cereal at night? Yeah. So I don't eat cereal in the morning because I need like protein, protein, and it's like I. I'll eat like peanut butter on an English muffin or bacon or something, but then I love cereal at night, like sugary cereal at night. So that's a dad thing. You're already in dad mode. Yeah, no, I'm in, I've been I've been in dad mode for quite some time. I are just, you? I just need the child. Are you? You have a dog. You have a six pound dog. Um, what did you say, Tim? Sugary or savory? I'll go. I'll go the sweet route. What do you have for breakfast? I feel like usually? you have the diet of a five year old. Oh, <laughs> well, I mean. Well, toast is usually just a go-to for breakfast. Something simple, cereal sometimes, nothing too extravagant. No, 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 no. It's not about extravagant. It's about a healthy breakfast to start your day. Do you eat a healthy breakfast to start your day? No, I admit I don't eat a giant breakfast. No, 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 no. Not pejorative, giant, throwing like, well, I don't want to eat like a healthy, Healthy, filling, balanced breakfast to start your day and get your day off to a good start. It's a very important time, a very important thing to do, Tim. No. Really? Wow. Have you, in the last month, had candy before noon? No. Okay. I have. Yeah. After the bacon, though. <laughs> <laughs> like okay. Bacon at 7, candy at 10. Okay, that's all for questions. We got a lot of them, and I apologize. We can, like, there's a lot of really good ones. I think at some point, we'll we have to do, like, an all mailbag podcast. Just get right to into up, it. To catch up on questions we keep missing. Next week, can we flag them so we remember them? I have them all, yeah. So next week, we'll do this. If you did not hear your question this week and you asked a good football question, next week, because it's going to be right before signing day, but we're not going to be delving into signing day like crazy, we will do an all mailbag and then also break down a position group. 
and that's it. Yeah, I think we'll. Someone asked about a basketball podcast. I think we'll probably have one before the Purdue game. Right? Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So, okay. all right, let's talk secondary. Let's talk secondary quickly. Corners first. I just put up the cornerback depth chart on Tuesday. First question. If you're just guessing, and we're only guessing because we don't know who's going to be in charge of the cornerbacks, do you think they will rotate the way they have rotated the past few years with Kerry Combs? Meaning there's basically three starters for two spots. Yeah, I think so. I think that's now like an Urban Meyer staple. Okay. Yeah. So given that, when I did the cornerback depth chart, and we talk about these most of the time before we put them up, um, I listed Jeffrey Okuda first and then listed Damon Arnett and Kendall Sheffield as co-starters. I basically put... Jeffrey Okuda in the Denzel Ward spot and jumped him past Arnett and Sheffield and then made Arnett and Sheffield the same they were this year. Now, that's not really how it is because basically those three guys did rotate, but I still feel like Ward probably did have the most snaps of them, right? But he didn't play. It wasn't that Sheffield and Arnett split a spot and and Ward had a spot to himself, but he was first among equals. Mm-hmm. So I was anticipating, I'm anticipating Okuda as a five-star recruit who was the fourth corner as a freshman, played a decent amount on defense, had situations where a guy went down when Denzel Ward got ejected unfairly in that game. Denzel Ward set up the bowl game. They had some other uh, injuries at times. Okuda played a decent amount on defense, played a lot of special teams. I'm viewing him as the new number one cornerback for Ohio State. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah, I agree, especially if there's a new position coach and the, the slate gets wiped clean a little bit. Yeah, I, I get the feeling that Arnett and Sheffield are twos and threes. and I think the underrated thing about the secondary class, this is where we're going to start to find out how good this 2017 class is because, you know, looking at the depth charts for both, there's a lot of 2017 guys in yep. there. So this is going to be really interesting to see, you know, are these guys going to be living up to the hype? Fourth corner, I have Sean Wade. I think he's a really interesting guy. Not that you get forgotten about, but when you redshirt, you're just not on people's minds. You redshirted because of injury mm-hmm. issues, not because of performance. I think he probably would have played on special teams like yeah. a lot of other guys did. Um, I think he maybe did have a little bit of bulking up to do. He was a little, seemed a little less filled out than Okuda when they first got here. Yeah, but he's that. a top 25 recruit in his class. He's an unbelievable recruit. So I'm assuming he's the fourth corner. So I'm assuming we see him in the mix. Yeah, and I don't, I don't. Maybe it's a little overboard to say this, but like I, I at least part of me thinks that it's possible that the two top corners are Okuda and Wade. I think they're that talented, and it is possibly to their benefit that Kerry Combs is not the cornerbacks coach and doesn't have like some mm-hmm. sense of loyalty to the older guys. I mean, it's not that you need to be reminded about like don't forget Sean Wade, who was like a five star recruit and a huge guy, a huge get for them out of Florida. Like he's going to be really good, probably. And 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 if they, I mean, if they end up with Okuda and Wade as the two starting corners, even if it's in 2019 and not this year, I mean, those are those are elite, elite, elite guys who were obviously drawn here by the success of Ohio State creating first round cornerbacks, and both came here with the expectation of being the next guys in that pipeline. So, I feel like in general, Marcus Williamson's in that mix. Mm-hmm. We think Amir Reap might be moving to safety. We listed him on the safety depth chart. He's a guy who contributed a lot on special teams. They have a couple incoming freshmen. In general, at corner, it seems like they're in pretty good shape, even though Denzel Ward might be a top-ten pick. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that. Except they're losing their coach, who everybody loved and created Pipeline. Safety. 
Tim, you did the safety depth chart. Explain this a little bit because I think there's a position there that's really interesting. Well, the safety depth chart, obviously, you got to start with Jordan Fuller. You know, he's the one guy everybody knows about. He's basically the constant in that Ohio State safety group. Everyone else is kind of a question mark because of youth, because they really haven't had many chances to, to play. And I think that presents an interesting dynamic. And I talked to Fuller about this. You can read on Cleveland.com. His challenge in now being the guy, as opposed to, you know, learning behind Malik Hooker's first year, Damon Webb last year, and Eric, and competing with Eric Smith for a starting job. They're going to look at him. They're going to – all these young guys are going to look at Jordan Fuller. And I mentioned this with the corners. It's going to be about 2017, who's going to step up in the fold. And the guy I have listed as my other starting safety, I had Isaiah Pryor as my guy. And he's a guy I was really intrigued by at the start of the season. You know, he was the second guy to lose his black stripe. And that's in a class with Okuda and Wade and five stars, five and four stars across the board. Prior maybe a bit over was maybe maybe a bit overlooked. Yeah. Played really well. And what's interesting is all four guys in my safety chart basically have the exact same body frame. They're both they're all six two, about two hundred some pounds. I don't know that probably means nothing, but I found that fascinating. But Pryor got the most playing time of all these guys, played some base defense, and I feel like he can, watching his highlight film, but he's from high school. He's got a lot of good downhill attacking ability in him, which is similar to the things Fuller did last season. I like Fuller because I think he's versatile. I think he can play either spot. Um, and then, yeah, I, I like Pryor. I think is the favorite to fill in next to him. It's. It, I mean, it really, I would be shocked if it's not Pryor. That job is open because yeah. Damon Webb graduated. But really, the other guys just don't. I mean, maybe sometimes there's a surprise. Maybe sometimes there's a Malik Hooker lying in. I mean, wait, Brendan but. White's a crazy good athlete who, like, I think it was just like trying to figure out what position he's going to play. So, like, if he is locked in at safety, um, I know he played receiver one game last year because Paris Campbell was injured. Um, but he seems pretty locked in at safety. So I don't. Maybe he's a guy who can he, yeah. who can surprise. I don't know if I'd bank on like Jocelyn Wint or Wayne Davis or a freshman doing it, but Brendan White is a candidate. Josh Proctor, big recruit there, mm-hmm. right? Like they're 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 in decent shape there. Um, I will say, I mean, like you know, coaches talk about it all the time seniors having their best year in their final year. Um, Damon Webb had a really good year last year. Damon Webb was one of those seniors who played his best season as a Buckeye as a senior. Uh, was a defensive MVP of uh-huh. the Cotton Bowl, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Turned into more of a playmaker, and we wrote that as the year went on. He yeah. started not just being a guy who was solid, but making plays. Um, he had a really good year. He had a really good year. I thought I was like impressed by Damon Webb as a guy who we sort of talked about a lot as a junior because he was on the field in that secondary with three future first-round picks, and he wasn't that. And so sometimes teams went after him. Um, but I thought he was really good as a senior. So, like, that is going to be something to replace that spot because these were not safeties that were getting burned all the time. And it's like one of those things that, you know, when safeties get burned, everybody knows it. And that yeah. was not like when when people – sometimes people threw on Ohio State last year. They threw on linebackers in the middle of the field, which sometimes the safeties are involved with that. Mm-hmm. And they threw on corners sometimes, some games, right? Back shoulder throws, yeah. But they weren't they weren't like going deep down the middle of the field because safeties were biting on the wrong were covering the wrong guy and yeah. reading coverage wrong and getting biting on pump fakes and getting smoked, right? That was not an everyday occurrence. And when that does happen, everybody talks about it. Yeah. I think the one thing, like just to go back quickly about potential surprises is 
just because Damon Webb was very much a cornerback playing safety. Yep. I think, and he'll be a safety in the NFL probably. Maybe and not. they like that a lot. Maybe not, but they like that skill set. And they have Jordan Fuller as the strong safety just back from for next year. So, like, Isaiah Pryor, I think, is a good safety. He's not a corner. I don't think anyone really in the safety running is a corner. So, if a whatever, Okuda or Sean – like, there was some safety talk about Okuda when he first got here or Sean Wade – or Amir Reef, like we said, we think we might be moving over. If one of those guys were to come in and like, and then against who they open against Oregon State, one of those young corners is playing in Damon Webb's safety spot. I think that's on the table. Yeah, and I think there's room, there's room for a lot of stuff with, uh, especially with new secondary people. Um, but there's room for when they go nickel. Who's going to be the nickelback? Mm-hmm. Um, where maybe you know we saw Arnett in that spot, right? And Fuller a little bit too. And Fuller when Fuller would move They'd bring down. Eric to, Smith on the field. Yep, Eric Smith also gone. So that's like he was like the third safety last year. So like yeah, it's interesting. You know, they're like for this, for a guy like Sean Wade, there's opportunity. Like mm-hmm. if Sean Wade, if Okuda's really good and Sheffield's really good and Arnett's really good, and by the way, Sean Wade, who didn't get to play as a freshman, is really good. They can find ways to move some stuff around and get their best guys on the field, mm-hmm. and and that could be with nickel packages or trying to move a guy to safety. Absolutely. Yeah, I think the big difference between corner and safety, they're both dripping with massive potential with all these young guys. Neither one has a senior at either position. It's just corner has more proven guys right now than safety. Safety, we know one guy. Corner, we know a handful. But there's going to be good competition at both. And I think if you're looking for a good position battle outside of quarterback, defensive backfield might be a good place to start. I didn't know there were other positions on the team besides quarterback. Yeah, I mean, and I'm I'm not saying it's going to happen. But Tate Martell can play safety. I mean, he played defensive back. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, the most interesting thing is the cornerback's coach is gone. And, like, again, you think Greg Schiano. If they have a new corner – we know they're going to have a new cornerback's coach. They also have a new safeties coach. And we don't know exactly – again, Alex Grinch is a secondary guy. We don't know exactly what everything – like, there's – things are changing. Yeah. Things are changing. And it's going to be interesting because it's a lot of – familiar guys back they lost they only you know they lose Denzel Ward which is a huge loss and they lose Damon Webb who had a really good year and then Eric Smith who was a good backup but their their coaching staff is changing there so that's gonna be interesting um let's do I just want to know I don't I don't have like a special Super Bowl food yeah I just want to know what yours is okay I don't know how it happened exactly but it's been going it started before we moved to Ohio, and we've moved to Ohio in 2005, so it's been going at least that long. But my wife, once a year, for the Super Bowl only, makes Banana Foster's Cheesecake Squares, Mm. which is like a cheesecake with the banana flavoring in it, graham cracker crust, and then caramel and bananas on top of it. But then you cut it up. It's not like a cake. It's like a tray that you cut it up like little little bars. And then uh, I eat like, and I'm diabetic, <laughs> so this is like the the don't test your blood sugar day, which is why we only have it once a year. But it is like it is unbelievable, and she makes it every year for the Super Bowl. And uh, my oldest daughter likes football, and my youngest daughter likes Banana Foster's cheesecake squares. So everybody's good on Super Bowl Sunday. And I actually care more about the cheesecake squares than I do about the game. Uh. I'm, I'm going to say two things. One, that sounds delicious. Yes. And two, I'm a little underwhelmed by it. Because I wasn't thinking dessert. Yeah, you were thinking like meat and cheese yeah. and... 
barbecue and chips yeah. and dripping and yes, yeah. I was thinking savory, not sweet. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. But it is, I think, a point worth saying that dessert often gets overlooked. So. I agree with that, and I also think it's fun to have a Super Bowl food. Yeah, I don't. I I don't know what I'm going to have. I would encourage you all to create a Super Bowl food for yourself. You don't have to eat it only once a year, but I think it's fun to have a thing, and it's fun to have it all. You know, for other things too. But like, I like it for the Super Bowl because then yeah. even if it's the, even if the Super Bowl one year is, you know, Super Bowl could have been the Rams and the Jaguars, and you would have been like, well, at least I got my food. But it's the birds. It's the birds. I don't know what I'm going to do. When I was in college, uh, there's a place here called Wings Over, and there's a bunch of them like around college campuses. And when I was in college, we got this thing called the Aircraft Carrier. Oh, I've seen that uh, on the wall. And, it, and it's like, uh, I think it's 100 wings, two slabs of ribs, like enough french fries to kill an elephant, and I think a couple of two liters. Okay. And that like became kind of a Super Bowl tradition in college. And... and uh, so and my girlfriend and I are like starting a, a like very specific diet the Monday after the Super Bowl. Ooh! So like I want to go out with a bang. Yeah. Um, but I can't get the aircraft carrier for two people, <laughs> two people and a dog. I mean, <laughs> you can. I can. Yeah. But <laughs> and just see how far you can go. Yeah. Um, all right, we'll get a report on that after the game. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to do. Also, uh, before we wrap up, I want to um, ask. Buckeye Talk listeners, for any advice they might have on places I should go eat in Nashville, because I'm going to be in Nashville this week on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, um, and I want to eat good food, and I've never been there before. So if you have Nashville recommendations, shoot them to me on Twitter. At BillAndis25. Are you going to listen to music? Are you going to like uh, bars and listen to strummy Japanese yeah, guitars? Yeah, we'll do that. Is, Jim- hot, is Nashville hot chicken on the repertoire? Yeah, like I've had it before. I haven't had it in Nashville, but I'll, I'll certainly have it once I'm there. Because I know that's where it's from, so that's why I had asked the all-important question. Yeah, I'll have it. I'll have it for sure. One Do you have meals. plans, or are you just going down and winging it? We're going to see a comedy show on Friday night. Um, Larry the Cable Guy? Larry the Cable Guy and, uh, <laughs> and Jeff Foxworthy. Um, no, it's neither of those people. It's, uh, it's, it's a, her name is Eliza Schlesinger. Schlesinger. Oh, oh she yeah. was on. Uh, didn't she win Last Comic Standing a few years ago? She was on it. I don't know if she won. Yeah, I but she's funny. She... We saw her. We saw her here um, in Columbus like two years ago. And she was good. Um, but her show here didn't match up with my work schedule, so we're going down there because we've never been there before. Um, and we're bringing the dog too. You're bringing the dog. We, we, we got an Airbnb that allows pets, so we're bringing the dog. Ah, awesome. no Marriott points. Yeah. I'll say no. I haven't seen a comedy show in a while. The last one I saw was like in Cleveland about a year or so ago with a guy named John Caparulo. who's a Cleveland area comedian. Oh, yeah, I know that guy. Got a couple of Netflix shows. Very funny, dude. I like going to comedy shows. Do what is the protocol if your dog poops in the Airbnb? Do you know? Uh, she's a very tiny dog, so it wouldn't it wouldn't be noticeable. Like you can just clean it up. So you don't tell them. It's not like if you puke. Oh in, no, in I'm, def- I'm definitely not going to tell them if my dog poops in the Airbnb. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's if you're letting people live in your house. Yeah. I mean, come on. She weighs 11 pounds. She's not doing any kind of damage. Okay. (laughs) Famous last word. Yeah. Thank you for listening. That's our podcast. You can listen to it wherever you listen to it. Wherever you listen to it, listen to it. it. On the internet. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Hey, how about a review? We're back up to the five-star reviews. Thank you, by the way, for those of you who have reviewed. So nice. It feels good. Yeah. We know what it feels like to be a five-star prospect. Yeah. 
And we know what it's like to be a five star. It's like, honestly, it was a little window because sometimes like some, right, whatever, Rivals or Scout or ESPN or 247 changes their rankings and it's like, oh, so-and-so went from the 93rd best prospect in the country to the 104th best prospect. And like, it's all made up and who cares? When we went from a five-star podcast to a four-and-a-half-star podcast, it had an effect on my yeah, life. it hurt. <laughs> so, like, if you ever have sort of, like, poo-pooed star rankings in anything, do not poo-poo them. Stars make your life. <laughs> stars matter. He's Bill. He's Tim. I'm Doug. Follow us on Twitter. Please read us at cleveland.com slash OSU. We're finishing up the depth chart projections this week. We'll have final stuff on them on Thursday and Friday. Um, So thanks as always. And that was Buckeye Talk.